I'm Rebecca Roanhorse, author of Resistance Reborn, and you are listening to the Living Force Podcast. This is the Living Force Podcast. Be mindful of the living force, young Padawan. A Utini production. There's been an awakening. Have you felt it? Episode number 32, Resistance Reborn Roundtable Part 1. Some moof milker put a compressor on the ignition line. In this episode, the Utini crew discusses Star Wars Resistance Reborn by Rebecca Roanhorse. You know what I've come for. And now, here are your hosts. Look who it is. Dr. Corey Helton, Eric Eilerson, and Dr. Charles Hankel. Man, I can I feel it's... the switch. It's like a, it's like a physical change in my body. <laughs> you got the jitters, the jitter jitters, the jitter jitters. Yeah, I'm, I'm terrified. My mouth starts to sweat, which I guess is drool. Is that what mouth sweat is? Is drool? No, not not at all. Uh, there's no medical similarity at all, Eric. Oh yeah, I guess I could ask you guys what everything is called in the body throughout our episodes. Yes, it's like true. studying. You're supposed to be studying for your exam thing, right? Yep, I am. I'm taking step three in December. Nice. Um, my wife was like, this is the last one, right? You don't have to take any more tests for the rest of your life. And I was like, yeah, that's not really true. And I started to count. And I'm like, if you count all the tests I have to take, including the ones like, after, you know, before you retire or whatever, like your relicensure exams, I have six more of these exams. That's if I work till 70. <laughs> wow. So no, I'm, I'm never done. You're never done, but you know That's what you right. are is on episode 32 of the Living Force podcast. Welcome, one and all. We are doing a special Saturday afternoon recording. Mm. So if you are live, thank you for tuning in. If not, totally fine. We usually do Monday nights, but because of crazy scheduling, we decided to get together on this, well, beautiful for me, but pretty rainy, I know, for you guys. Uh, Saturday afternoon. So I'm yeah. one of your hosts, Eric Eilerson, and with me, as always, are the doctors, Dr. Corey Helton. Hey, buddy. What's up? What's up? And Dr. Charles Hankel. Hey, man. Hello, gentlemen. And our robot behind the keys, Wes. Hey, dude. Howdy. <laughs> All right. If you tuned into not last week, but the week before's episode, uh, you will know that Wes was featured as a droid because of microphone difficulties. So this week, we'll see what we can do. Wes is going to be our man in the chair, if you will, uh, correcting us if we get stuff wrong, yelling out facts, being a genuinely lovely dude. So thanks for hanging out on the show. Yeah, man, you got it. Beep, boop, beep, All right. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, it's not lost. <laughs> so today, we are going to be doing our part one of our I would say fairly popular roundtable series. I know a lot of you love when we talk about the books. So this episode, we are going to be talking about Resistance Reborn by Rebecca Rowanhorse, who we talked to on last week's episode of The Living Force. If you haven't checked out that interview, absolutely stop this right now and immediately go back and listen to that interview. It was a great time. But guys, we can't jump right into that. It'd be too easy. It'd be too simple. It'd be too satisfying. We got some business to get to first. Uh, first things first, we had a new patron this week in the old utd.com slash Patreon. So I want to give a shout out to HollyMax79. Hey. Welcome. What's up? What's up? Always good to have new folks on the team. I hope you've gotten in our Discord to our general rowdiness and awfulness that happens there. <laughs> it's a lot. 
our Discord has been crazy this week, guys. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's been it's been so much fun. It's been like the level that our Slack like was like when I initially got the idea to like like push the Discord out. Like this is why I wanted to do it because this is what it was like in our Slack team, and we, I wanted to do this with the general public. And yeah. it took a long time to get it rolling, but now it's like active on a daily basis. Yeah, I yeah, got I mean, off my shift last night in the ED, and there were over two hundred and fifty unread messages. <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. Well, and a lot of them are taking place in the Mandalorian channel uh, because every right. Friday a lot of us will get up early, watch the show, and then we have a spoiler ban up until 9 a.m. Eastern time every Friday, and then we go full spoilers. You're chatting with your buddies all about the new episode. So right. HollyMax79, jump out in the Discord if you're not there already, and everyone else listening to the show, utd.com slash Discord, come hang out and get over 250 notifications after your ED shift. <laughs> no, that's go- that's a that's emergency department not erectile dysfunction i mess that up every time <laughs> <laughs> i'm like an entire shift about erectile dysfunction useful people need it but that's not what it is uh, a couple <laughs> other things we got some new reviews on the site over on the book profiles on utini where you can go you can look up your book you can leave your own star rating and little blurb uh rolando 71 our buddy ross I uh, left a review for Bane, Darth Bane, Path of Destruction. It was a really great review. Said it's a crime, it's not canon. Which mm. technically is true, but I, do you guys think Bane can ever come back with that story? Because I know he's been in the Clone Wars, he was mentioned, and we saw his kind of Force Ghost thing. Do you think those stories what, Bane's, will ever be retold? Like, Bane's entire story? Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Bane, the Bane series, like honestly, most stuff that happens prior to the Phantom Menace would be very easy to, um, like make canon. Now, let's clarify: they're never, ever, ever, ever in a million years is never going to happen. Take a Legends book and just peel off that golden banner. That's yeah. never yes. going to happen. Nope. All right, that's no like shot. don't get your hopes up. It's never going to happen. It's a fun thing to wish for, but we're never going to see that. That's not their style at all. Absolutely. Um, what we might see is some other mild retelling of stories, kind of like the way the Thrawn trilogy, uh, mm-hmm. like you know, has been sort of made in a lot of ways canon. Like, like they brought the character back and that sort of thing. Um, and I think it would fit in perfectly fine with you know yeah. with canon stuff. I mean, establish the rule of two. I mean, yep. they talk about that stuff that would be very easy to reference. That it's Bane, like Yoda, or maybe something just has to say at some point, like it was Bane, and that would be easy to do. Yeah, yeah. we'll get that stuff eventually. I think Bane. Revan, Plagueis, all these stories eventually will get some retelling of them because they're they're too popular to not do it. And and those time periods don't really butt up against anything else that's established. Right. Yeah. But in the meantime, if you haven't read the Darth Bane trilogy, absolutely do. Again, just because it has that Legends banner on it does not take away from the story at all. We're huge proponents of Legends on here, just as we are of canon. Go check out those stories. Um as Ross told you to. Another couple of reviews we got from our recent all-star reviewer, they call me T13, who has been on yeah. the freaking warpath. I mean, so many book reviews. We got the episode four novelization, which I don't think we've had any reviews for before. The last line in the review I loved, it was um, also ducks. Yes. So <laughs> strange. If you want to know, I have about no that. idea what that's in reference to. <laughs> but it makes me want to read the book, which I think is a good part of a review. Uh, also reviewed Dark Disciple, quoting I like Asajj more in this novel than the whole Clone Wars series, which mm. I think is yeah, true. Yeah, that's pretty. I think that's a fairly universal opinion, don't you guys yeah. think? 
Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We love that book. We write hard for Dark Disciple here. Uh, Queen Shadow, the book that must not be named, was oh. also reviewed. Yep. <laughs> uh, and they said uh, they read it in one sitting because it was so good. They loved that book so much. So we, uh, I've been meaning to bring this up to you guys. We need to make um, another episode about Queen Shadow, one of the Patreon rewards. Like, like yes. you know, there's you know, there's goals, right? Yes, like, maybe maybe when we get to like, see, I think we're sitting like 170 bucks, and you can say like when we're at 200 dollars or something. I think right now it says we'll do a film commentary, but honestly, I think it might be more fun to do something straight book stuff. So maybe we should make the 200 dollars one like a Queen Shadow roundtable again. Like, I'm down. I'm, have to, I'm down. Hey. I'm down to say that right now. Let's go off script. If we hit $200 a month on Patreon, we will do a full Queen Shadow roundtable. And if we, and hey, maybe we can hit that number by the time the one-year anniversary of the book comes around. That'd be really cool. Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah, so, but also, fun. Matt, edit all of this out, please. <laughs> <laughs> Just because we don't want to have tech problems. If you are new to the show, we did do a Queen Shadow roundtable way back in the day, twice, but the audio got corrupted every single time, so we really got to get that done. So if you are a current patron and you want that to happen, maybe check out the next tier. If you're not a patron and, man, you love that book, you want to hear us talk about it, choose a couple bucks a month. We'd be happy to do it. And finally, uh, T13 rounded out their review roundup with the Last Jedi film novelization. So this didn't quite do it for them. Yeah. Um, which, which is kind of pretty standard. Yeah, that's... that's- that was I'm sorry, I cut out for a second. Did you say that was which movie was the it? Last Jedi? Oh, the Last Jedi. Yeah, we talked about that not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just an expanded edition that doesn't expand on much. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's kind of my my feeling. Yep. I mean, it's Love good. Movie. But, yeah, does a does a fine job. But you know, for for a novelization, you really want to expand, like Merle Lafferty did with the solo novelization, something like yeah. that. Outside of the deleted scenes that you have already watched on the on the DVD. Precisely couple more Utini updates before we dive into some Resistance Reborn. Guys, we are, at time of recording, two episodes into our new Patreon series, Bounty Hunt, which yeah. is us, which has been us talking about every episode of The Mandalorian. By the time this releases uh, publicly on Friday, I'll guarantee that third episode will be up. And That's right. It might be my favorite thing we're doing right now. I know it's so fun to get together and talk about Star Wars because like we do all this EU stuff but like we're obviously all huge fans like the films and TV shows and things like that we just don't really get to talk about it so it's really fun to uh to like look forward to like to to getting together with just you guys because like by the time we usually record there's been a couple days of water cooler talk and that sort Mm -hmm. of thing with our peers and friends and that sort of stuff so we have a lot of cool stuff I feel like to bring to the conversations it's a ton of fun yeah yeah and that show, it's been a little more uh, from the hip. It's a little less structured than this show, but we've been having a great time. The episodes are shorter, and if you are a patron at the Guardian of the Wills, $5 level or above, that is uh, available to you, along with Legends Look Back, which, mm-hmm. funny enough, I will be recording an episode of later today. I'll be doing the Clone Wars Wild Space book with our buddies Jared and Freddy. So if you are a patron, make sure you check that out. A couple other plugs. This week, so Tuesday, November 26th, or Monday the 25th, uh, Friends of the Force, a buddy of ours, Brad Whipple's podcast, uh, will be publishing a show that we were all on last week. The three of us went on there with Brad to talk about this very book. Uh, We kind of did a little mini roundtable with him, uh, similar to kind of what we do on here, but it definitely had a different vibe as Brad was hosting, and we had a 
I had a ton of fun on that show. I think that was a really cool time. It was. Yeah, we sort of approached the book, I think, from kind of the way we do a lot of times in our second part of like kind of big picture stuff. Um, but Brad is obviously much more in tune with uh, certain communities in Star Wars. And then also like he's very in tune with like the films and things like that, which we don't really touch as much. So like it was almost like talking about Resistance Reborn from the standpoint of why it matters for the Rise of Skywalker. And yeah. that was not like what we usually do. So that was fun and different. And like even if you listen to our two part ep- episode here on the book, like it, I would I would really suggest going to listen to it because it's very different than what we do think so. Absolutely. So if you're somehow not sick of our voices by the end of this episode, you got probably three episodes of Bounty Hunt, you got some Legends Look Back episodes, and you got some Friends of the Force. So plenty of content coming your way because November will not quit. That's right. A couple more things up on the site. The full review of this book, Resistance Reborn, is up. Uh, There's a no-spoiler one by me. Uh, Charles wrote our full review. We published that. It's phenomenal. Uh, and then we have the no spoilers review of Force Collector, which I put up because that came out last week as well. And then finally, we got a little review of the Rebel Starfighter's owner manual, which I got mm. to read. Uh, the folks at Insight through to me. If you've read any of the manuals about the Millennium Falcon, the Death Star, TIE Fighters, they put one out finally for all the Rebel Starfighters. And I put up a review kind of showing some pictures, detailing what's in that book. So tons of content coming to you on Utini as Always. Woo! Man. Guys, we do a lot. It's a lot. That was, a, uh, that was the longest <laughs> exasperated sigh we've ever heard from uh, I know. the host been... of Living Forest, <laughs> Eric Eilerson. All this has been happening while we have been watching The Mandalorian and playing freaking Jedi Fallen Order. I know. Yeah. I know. I, I essentially uh, I posted in our Slack team yesterday, I guess, like, hey, let's all just enjoy December. We're going to postpone all major projects until after the start of the new year because there's literally just so much stuff happening right now that like, I don't want to start anything major for <laughs> for Utini like, in this insane time. Like, Just get ready to watch the film. That's all you really yeah. need to focus on. <laughs> That's your homework. That's all right. right. Well, on that, before you watch that film, you should probably read Resistance Reborn. And if you're listening to this podcast, we assume either A, you already have, or B, you're not going to get the time and you want to know all about it. So without further ado, I'm going to throw this over to Charles, who is the king, the master, the maestro of running these roundtable episodes. And he's going to kind of take us through all you need to know about Resistance Reborn. Take it away, man. All right, no pressure. Yeah, let's do this. Um, <laughs> so let's start out this roundtable as we start out all roundtables. And let's do a little plot synopsis and then we will rate the book. All right, so Resistance Reborn, it's written by Rebecca Rowanhorse, who again, you two just got to interview, uh, and it tells the story of the Resistance forces attempting to rebuild immediately after their near destruction at the Battle of Crete. So a list of imprisoned ex-rebels and Imperials goes up for auction on Corellia, and it seems like their best shot to rebuild. So Leia, Poe, Ray, Finn, Rose, a whole host of new and old faces alike split up lead separate missions to retrieve that list, liberate some of the prisoners on it, and in the meantime, steal a new fleet of ships, all in the hopes of amassing some forces that are capable to standing up to the might of Kylo Ren and the First Order. Now, let's go around, rate the book 1 to 10. Don't say why just yet. We'll come back around at the end of the roundtable and uh, see if any of our answers have changed. So, Eric, how about you first? What'd you think? I'm going to say 
9.5. Wow. Okay. Starting hot. 9.5. Um, Corey, what is your lower number than 9.5? <laughs> I uh, I had, do not have a number lower than 9.5 because I'm also going to give it a 9.5. Dang. Okay. All right. Um, I will be the pessimist of the lot by giving it a 9. <laughs> <laughs> so that should, swing it low. That should yeah, go to show ball. you that we do, we do all think very highly of this book and everything that we've seen really from the Utini community um, has been really positive yeah. as well i mean obviously right. no one has rated it for us but i imagine most people are in the eight to nine range maybe higher than that maybe some tens Sounds out like there it. yeah i it, think so it is it is the first book in a while maybe maybe since like master and apprentice even that has gotten universal love i'd say mm-hmm. yeah yeah That's did i give it. did i give i was thinking about this the other day did i give master and apprentice a 10 because i should have you might I think have. I did. we gotta realize I, I did need to listen to it again we should we should keep a list of what our final ratings were on all of our roundtables yep. and see like what is our we should have like a an annual champion yeah we should the highest the highest rated one yeah well looking ahead uh for for you listeners to our kind of end of the year cycle we the other week we went through and planned out podcast episodes through January uh because as Corey was saying it's going to get very busy and one of our episodes we're thinking of doing is a year um in review kind of look at all the books that came out this year so keep your eyes peeled for that ears yeah you can look at us too i guess if you want i mean if you want. <laughs> it's fine all right so let's go ahead and jump in to the next part of the round table which is all about the characters and that's a big part honestly of this round table and this book obviously the characters were kind of the driving force for this book we get a ton of characters from other stories in this novel, but yeah. to start off, I actually want to focus on those who will play a big part in the rise of Skywalker. And the way that I would like to do that is by talking about a couple of things. One, what we learned specifically about the character in this book that we maybe didn't know before. And two, what that means for the trajectory of that character moving into the rise of Skywalker. And then time permitting, I have a couple of follow-up questions on the various characters. So let's start at the top of the resistance with General Leia Organa. So what did you guys feel like you learned that maybe you didn't know uh, from The Last Jedi about Leia in this book? Where is she in her overall story? She's a lot more hurt than I thought. Yeah, you know, that's I, that's also the direction I was going to go with that. Like, yeah, totally. I really, I mean, I, and I and I love that choice. I love that you know she kind of has some trauma from being shot out into space and almost dying, and like all these things are really weighing on her. And I think that you know we she is such a strong character, and I think that that does not get lost in it. But we know she is an older person, and like just even physically, it hurts her more. It, it's a little harder to move around. Um, her spirit isn't broken, but she's definitely a step back, which I thought was an interesting choice. Yeah, I think it. I think it really shows that it matters, like like what your team is like. Because I mean, there was a good part of the early part of this book where she wanted to give up, like she was ready to give up, and we've never seen Princess Leia do that before, mm -hmm. like ever. Like she's always just been you know, the the one that everyone looks to when they need that extra hope. I mean, if, hope is like her thing, right? Yeah, <laughs> literally. And she was, and she was like ready to let go. And um, 
we got to see her sort of turn to some of the more uh, younger and more enthusiastic sort of folks in the resistance, like Ray and, and Finn and Poe and that sort of thing. And, and that was cool to see that like, you know, the leaders are not infallible. Like they have flaws and the ability to, to, to give up even. So it was good. Yeah. I mean, to be frank, she was not ready to come out of that coma that she was in, no. um, <laughs> in the last Jedi. She got no. pulled out really from, from Luke, uh, opening himself back up to the force, but she is, Hurting. That's absolutely right. And I think it's an interesting point that you bring up, Corey, that we see her handing off some more of her responsibilities, it seems like, because we we are used to seeing her be the unquestioned leader. That's still what we saw in The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi as well, until maybe the last few moments when she starts to hand the reins over to Poe a little bit. But, you know, we, we were told that the sequel trilogy was the passing of the baton from kind of the old guard to the new. And we saw Han do that in episode seven. We saw Luke do that in episode eight. And I think we started to see Leia do it here. Um, it's, a, it's an entirely new role for her. And I think that's really interesting. So what does that mean for, for her story moving into the Rise of Skywalker? I know there are some really big question marks because we don't know what type of material they had for mm-hmm. Carrie Fisher. But let's pretend that there are no stipulations from that respect. Let's pretend they could have done anything they possibly wanted. Where do you see her her character going just based on what we saw in this book? I mean, it's ah, it's it's, <laughs> it's what she did at the end of Last Jedi when she told them, "Don't look at me, you know, follow him." I think mm-hmm. the passing the baton is a perfect way to say it, Charles. I think mean, she has done so much for her entire life, quite literally. I mean, from the junior senate uh, all the way through to now, she's been working for other people, raising people right. up, fighting every day. And I think she is now seeing the next generation with Poe and Ray and Finn being like, we'll take the reins from here and the the galaxy is going to be okay. You know, so I, I don't think it's in a dire way. I mean, she doesn't have a death wish or anything like that, but I think there is the idea that she can trust other people to take over and she can let herself feel the losses. I mean, she hasn't really gotten a chance to let, um, you know, Han's death affect her as much. She hasn't gotten a chance to let, I, I think Ben's fall affect her as much as she wants to, because she's had to fight for the resistance. She's had to do all these things. But at the end of the day, her husband's gone and her son is technically kind of gone right now. And that's hard. Yeah. So I think that we're going to see her, be a little more vulnerable because she doesn't have to carry everything on her shoulders all alone. Yeah. I have sort of an interesting question. I think that sort of goes along with that. Um, the really unfortunate, untimely death of, of Carrie Fisher sort of forced the writer's hand in this and that they had to, you know, create the out for the character of General Leia. Do you guys think that? You guys think that we would be seeing a different narrative being told if if Carrie Fisher had not passed? Yes. How so? Um, I think again, it's it's hard to say specifically because we haven't seen the movie yet. But mm-hmm. from the interviews and stuff with JJ, uh, like the was it uh, Entertainment Weekly did one recently? The Variety had one. He talks about you know they found the footage and it was like a gift from Carrie um, because they realized oh we can write a story around this. But even she said when she was still alive to everyone that episode nine was going to be her movie. You know, seven was 
kind of Hans, eight was Luke's, like nine was was Leia. That was the one. And I think that we would have seen her maybe, I mean, definitely more screen time, obviously, is is the easiest Mm -hmm. thing to say. But I think it would have been more about her ending the chapter for all of them, her carrying the torch to the finish line for everyone in the, in all three trilogies, you know, kind of from Padme to Leia to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and may, I think she maybe would have had a face to face with Kylo to do, do something there, which I, which we will not get in this movie. I'm pretty sure. Um, so in that respect, I do, I think that they're going to be fine because again, they didn't start writing nine until they knew what scenes they had with Carrie. So, It'll it'll feel organic because they wrote around them for that purpose, but I definitely think it would have been different. Yeah, I think it would have been different for the reasons that Eric said. I think we would have seen some more things. Maybe her using the Force again. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, really? That's a big jump. Pretty cool. I I think we I think we definitely could have, but you know, I think it would have ended up in the same place because it was always the plan to again pass the baton to these new characters. And so I don't think she was going to necessarily live through the movie and become like the new chancellor or anything like that. So I I think that she would have gracefully exited in one way or another, which we'll still see because we have to see it. uh, I think at least, but I think it would have been a very different path to get to that point. Absolutely. Hey, real quick. I didn't interrupt you guys. I'm looking in the chat here. We do have some friends that showed up, including, uh, our friend Meg Dowell's in here, Trevor Duncanson's in here, and Ross Orlando is in here, and a very special birthday hello to Patrick Ortiz, who joined yeah. us. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday, man. Thank you for yeah, spending right, uh, part of it with us. So yeah, it looks, like, looks like we have a Trevor Duncanson in there, too, who's been around yep. for a long time. I remember seeing that name come across a lot of Utini packages back in the day, so welcome, Trevor. <laughs> yeah, what's up, everybody? But yeah, happy birthday, dude. So so to have you here. Anyway, dive back in. But I wanted to say hi. Yeah. Um, yeah. Last thing I want to ask ask about that. I know we don't do a lot of speculation, but you know the way that this book, the way that all of the expanded universe has been dealing with Princess Leia has made it very well plausible that she does not actually have to be killed off on screen. Do you think that this book gives us any insight into that? I I don't think she dies in nine. Really? I, Interesting. Mm-hmm. For, I mean, it just—it doesn't seem like you know. It'll—it'll it'll have to be a very split moment decision type of thing. I think it will have to be like, which is how deaths usually come. But I don't know. I—I I, I I don't think, think you—I don't think you take because of everything surrounding it, right? Like this is the first time, kind of in pop culture history, everyone knows that Carrie died early. Everyone is going into it knowing that they did. Like all this stuff is known ahead of time. So. Saying, oh yeah, by the way, Leia died, is like, you know, you don't have the footage of her death, of, mm-hmm. of her giving a last moment, and I think to not give the character and the actress that is is a level of, doesn't doesn't hit the level of respect that she's earned. Sure. So I think that we're, we're going to have her, you know, take a step back, but I think that they're going to keep her alive. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's a very, very interesting idea too. Sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, I, I was just thinking i mean i totally get where you're coming from and that makes sense like we wouldn't have footage fitting to give her uh i don't know an appropriate death or exit but also we don't have any footage of what that what else that ending could be right like i mean are they gonna just use exposition also to be like oh yeah by the way she's going to 
this planet and now she's going to become a force hermit there or now she's the chancellor of the universe like that's a huge thing to just do with with lines as well the same way that it would be with a death and i feel like it'd be easier to do a death using some kind of footage even if you just have footage of her on the bridge of a ship and then that ship gets shot down oh i I think it's you know what i mean i I think it's 100 percent easier i think if it wasn't carrie fisher 100 percent they could do it i just think that it, it it is the respect for the actress and her le- and her legacy and history of like. I I I don't think they'll do it because of how much they love her. I think it's very personal. Yeah, it definitely. Yeah, is. I think I think regardless the way that this book sets up, like the whole passing of the baton thing is is very important for going into the the rise of Skywalker. And if like I know we keep saying that this is like a must read book before seeing the film, but this is why is because there is a very clear delineation of. I am no longer in charge and I want someone else to do this. Like that was very clear in this book. And like the little two second scene at the end of the last Jedi, when, when she's like, no follow Poe, I don't think quite does that justice. No, but yeah, it's definitely the beginning of where this book um, kind of ends. Yeah. Yeah. Now I had a follow up question, but I think honestly, just in our conversation, we've probably covered it because that question was what, what does Leia bring to the role of being the leader of, the resistance and the rebellion before that and why she's such an effective leader. But I mean, I think we've, I think we've we nailed it pretty much just answered that. Go she, us. she is the spirit. I think Corey, it, maybe you said that she is the spirit of the resistance of the rebellion. Right. Um, in many ways she is the resistance. Mm-hmm. So, all right, well let's move on to arguably her protege who was probably the star of this book. Poe Dameron. Yep. Uh, so we got a, a lot of this book dedicated to Poe and to developing his character, I think, in ways that we didn't necessarily expect to see. Um, what did you guys feel like you learned about Poe in this book and, and why was it important? Lie, boy. Um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, we saw his evolution, you know? I think that yeah. if you read the Poe Dameron comic, which I would highly recommend before reading this book, and if... You have read the book and didn't. A lot of characters that Poe hangs out with are from that comic book. Yeah, I, I think it really takes a lot of that characterization and doubles down on it. I think that we saw him being more of a leader. Again, he had the the glimpses in Last Jedi where he told everyone to retreat on Crate. That was one action that was good, but he's still very cocky. And then the beginning of this book, we saw him kind of reckoning with the fact that he started a freaking mutiny. Like, he betrayed his commanders. He betrayed Leia. He did all these things that are pretty bad that, you know, they won the day, but at what cost? So I think we saw him taking responsibility for his actions, really trying to be a leader and and realizing that he is kind of the heir apparent and what that entails. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we talked a lot about that with Rebecca Roanhorse, that, like at least to me, it was a huge realization going into this book. Like, holy smokes, Poe feels like, like he feels like he completely failed as a leader and completely failed the resistance by committing that mutiny. Like it was, I mean, it moved the plot along in the last Jedi and it seemed like a completely plausible, uh, like, uh, like situation, the way it played out in the last Jedi. And like, we were sort of, as the viewer, we're sort of, made to think that the that like Admiral Holdo was a bad guy in a lot of ways in the last Jedi I think but like I mean he did a dumb thing is the way he looks at it and it did not even occur to me before reading this book that that was 
uh, that was the way he felt. And it was done incredibly, incredibly well. It was. I think it's crazy. I, I almost feel like ashamed to say that when I watched The Last Jedi, even when I realized that Haldo had a plan the entire time, like I didn't, I didn't really feel like Poe messed up that bad. Like I still mm-hmm. kind of felt like he was, I don't know. I was still team Poe. I was, I was still on his side because I think we're used to right. seeing the main characters, even when they do things that other people warn them against doing, they're doing the right thing, right? Like Yoda was like, don't go try to save your friends, Luke. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. You know, it's not going to turn out well. And Luke's like, no, I'm going. And it, I mean, yeah. it didn't turn out well for him. Like, you know, lost it's... a hand and whatnot, but he did the right <laughs> thing because he saved all of his friends. Um, to some, to some so, degree, but they were also would have escaped in a in you know alone without his help. It seems like so, maybe like, in a way that he didn't save his friends. And it just what I was going to say about that is it is incredibly important in how that sort of story arc is depicted in film because like we don't look at at Yoda like an idiot or like a bad guy for not wanting Luke to go to to Cloud City and Empire, but we true. do kind of look at Holdo like. Why didn't you just tell Poe the plan? Like you're an idiot and a bad leader, and that's how I have felt about Holdo for a lot, long time. Like since I saw the Last Jedi, it's like you should have just told him, told him the plan. Like what? It seems like a plot hole. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and that was what a lot of people had to say about that whole scene. But in reality, you know, Admiral Holdo was really pissed at Poe for like destroying the entire bomber fleet. Like she by defying orders from General Organa. Like, yeah. like he made a lot of really bad calls, and it was not really depicted that way because he was just made out to be a hero and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. so it makes you kind of look at Holdo like a bad guy. It makes you look at Poe like he's doing the right thing by committing immunity. But you know, to everybody else, Poe's going off the damn rails, yeah. right? Well, and, like, there's, and there's also the idea that you know. There, there are some. If we're talking about Yoda and Holdo comparison, right? There is the idea that we are way more likely to trust a mysterious old man that is doing weird stuff than we are to could trust a woman in charge still in 2019. Like, there's the idea that, sure. hey, lady, just tell the guy. Whereas Yoda's like hides everything from everyone, and we're like, no, nah, he's got yeah. a reason. You know? Right. It, well, it, it, there's... I mean, there's no <laughs> such thing as an evil muppet. Exactly. No <laughs> yeah. Right. Um. No, I, I think it's a, it's it's a it's a great point, and how I, I think the evolution of Holdo throughout the last couple of years has been cool in in the Star Wars community of realizing you know that Poe messed up and seeing him be literally the voice of saying yes I did right. in this book in canon is very yep. impactful. Ross Orlando in the chat said a very interesting comment about like like maybe Haldo thought that there was a spy or a leak on board somewhere. And that would have been a really easy line to kind of throw into the last Jedi and kind of would have justified her actions in a lot of ways. And I think we're supposed to, because, because princess Leia in, in the last Jedi was kind of like, you should have trusted, was she remember that little short conversation she had with Poe when they were on the little shuttles or whatever, going to crate. She was like, you should have just trusted Holdo. Like she had a plan, that didn't quite do it justice. I would have much rather have seen Holdo defending her own actions, like like from a moral, like ethical standpoint, rather than, you know, she had that little line about if you have to, what does it say about Princess Leia? If you have to see hope, I don't know, some crap. Remember that? If, if you only, what is, if you only believe in hope this. when you can see it, you'll make it. You'll never make it through. The, or hope is like the sun. If you only believe in it when you see it, you'll never survive the you'll night. Never make it right. Night, and that was yeah. a beautiful line, but it didn't quite do it justice. I think so. You know, that's a really long roundabout way to say that, like, just the way that everything was depicted surrounding the Holdo Poe interaction in the Last Jedi, like 
this book corrects a lot of that, I think. Yeah, and, and I think there's also the idea, you know, you, you mentioned her treating everyone like a spy or a leak in Last Jedi, and it makes sense because somehow the First Order knows where they are in light speed, and they have tracked them in a way that should be impossible. And right. in At all the fairness, time. the only person she's really not trusting is Poe, who is actively lying to her the entire movie. So like, it, and, it, yes, and disobeyed orders, and yeah, like and he's a bad being a bad soldier, and there's yeah. a lot of yeah, right. So if you don't tell me also... the plan, I'm gonna mutiny. Well, okay, dude, like sit down. <laughs> whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa. Um, I think also when it comes to the resistance or the pure like military side of of this story, it's a lot easier to tell and there's a lot more room for it in the novels and that's one reason why the expanded universe is amazing and why legends and canon alike are amazing because that's another reason why it was told in this book is because there's not going to be as much time for it in the rise of skywalker we have to focus on some of this ray kylo potentially return of palpatine you know we don't have time to talk about the nitty-gritty of the actual military structure of the resistance and what's going on there so Mm-hmm. Um, I think that plays a factor in it too. But so, so what does all this mean for the rise of Skywalker? Is is Poe the new leader? Is he going to become General Poe Dameron? What's happening there? Is he going to die? He could die. We don't know. Oh, he was he supposed to die. die in the Force Awakens. That's right. Maybe they're going to get back around to that. I who knows? I think weirdly, dude. I can make a case for literally every single character dying and. Right, the Skywalker. I think Do that it. you have thirty seconds. <laughs> oh god. Okay. Uh, no, no, no. But like, you know what? I, I anyone that happens, I will be both surprised and not surprised for every character, and I think that's a testament to this to the franchise. Yeah. Even Claude or Cloud. Uh, Cloud will be the name. new Chancellor. Because <laughs> <laughs> he is obviously force sensitive. <laughs> Amazing. Corey, what do you think about that? What's what does this mean for Poe? Where's he going? I, I think we'll see Poe kind of move into this very clear leadership standpoint. Obviously, like in the beginning of this, uh, this film, like it seems like this book set him up perfectly to do that, and everybody is, is looking up to him at the end. I mean, I think we're going to see that, but that seems fairly obvious, I guess. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I keep saying that it was so cool to see him struggle with this whole idea, but I think he's ready now. I think this book mm-hmm. got him ready for this. Maybe and they have like month like what 11 10 11 months after this book until rise of skywalker so Mm -hmm. that's true yeah i think of this as a direct prequel to the rise of skywalker but actually it's more of a direct sequel to the last jedi there is a lot of time in there now here's the ultimate question i think this is what the entire point of the story was is is to answer the question was poe redeemed did he redeem himself or is does he still have work to do? I yes, I think he was redeemed and I didn't know he need to be redeemed. Hundred <laughs> percent great way to put it. I yeah. That's it. yeah. I don't think I didn't that know I didn't know he needed to be redeemed like from the last Jedi, which we talked about mm-hmm. at length now, but like now I see this as yes, he did need to be redeemed, and a lot of people also felt like he needed to be redeemed. Like that he worked with. Like a lot of people in the resistance felt like he betrayed. And that scene where he gave that really epic speech with Just all the thought new, about that, yeah. Yeah, all the new people. There's a scene in this book, if you haven't read it, where they like assemble a bunch of new folks from ex Imperials, a bunch of really cool people uh like wedge antilles is brought back if you missed that plot point yeah. like holy yeah. smokes uh it's on page um, 150 if you are listening and you want to look at it there's that's the scene where 
Poe is like, he gives a speech about how I have done horrible things and I disobeyed my commander and if no one wants to follow me, I get it. And then one by one, all these different people stand up and say, this well, is when you initial- saved me. Initially, initially, a couple of people, like some old grumpy people, old grumpy men in the back, so they made a scene. Were like, "Why should we follow you? Didn't you mutiny the last ship or yeah. on the Radis or whatever?" Like, and yeah, like, that was me. I'm sorry. I was, I did yeah, that. and and things started to go south really quickly. His epic little speech was like kind of shut down, which was really beautiful to me because. Mm-hmm. Like heroes in books and movies are often depicted as, you know, you stand up, you give this epic speech and everybody follows you and it's great. And like, nah, bro. like it was like, <laughs> it was like that guy made Poe look like a giant douchebag. Like, yeah. Like yeah. Poe is like, this is what you do as a leader. I'm going to give this cool speech because this is the cliche thing that you do when you're a leader. And like a bunch of people were like, uh, yeah, no, man, like you have done a lot of stuff that we don't agree with. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to follow you. And then it turned into this really cool thing where a lot of people kind of backed up Poe and were like. Poe has personally saved me, and he's, this is how he's loyal, and it was very good. So, yeah, that's great. Very much team Poe Demption in this book, and yeah. loved every second of it. Now, we are going to take a quick break here. Uh, we've hit the two biggest characters in this book. After this, we're going to hit a bunch of our other favorites that we saw from the film. Also, some brand new characters, and a shit ton of those great cameos. So, my friends, if you're watching live, stick around, keep chatting away. We'll be right back in a couple minutes. Hey, guys, it's Charles here. As the year winds down, it's natural to take a moment to reflect on the things that we're thankful for. So all of us at the Living Force and Utini wanted to take a moment to talk about it. Obviously, there's a ton of new Star Wars material coming out. We have a new saga film on the way. There are multiple TV shows on the horizon. Books and comics are being released as fast as we can possibly consume them. But what we're actually most thankful for, far and away, is you. You, the listener. Whether you're a casual fan who pops in for an occasional episode, or a veteran of our Discord server, or a contributing member of our Patreon community, we are absolutely blown away by the support we've gotten. We can't express how much it means to us, especially not in a short clip like this, but hopefully taking a second to give you a shout out means a little something. So thank you again, every last one of you. The year may be ending, but the Living Force has big plans for the future, and as always, we would be honored if you would join us. May the Force be with you all. And we are back! Welcome back to episode 31 of the Living Force podcast, our Resistance Reborn Roundtable. This after... is 32. Did I say 32? Oh man, it is 32. Whatever, I is messed it? it up. That, you know what? what? That, 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 that clip we just listened to hit me so hard emotionally and wrecked me. <laughs> That I wasn't able to properly bring us back from break. You get. You just it. got thrown all the way back to last week. That's impressive. I did. I hope it's more of Matt's childhood because those cameos are awesome. Oh, they're so good. <laughs> all right. Well, let's jump back into some of the characters we were discussing. We have a couple of other big ones that I wanted to talk about, but to be honest with you, they were not the focus of this novel. So I think we're probably going to have a little bit less to say. But let's talk about Ray. She is obviously hugely important to the rise of Skywalker, and so you would think that maybe she would have a big part to play in this book, but not so much. Um, She was probably a little bit off limits for this novel because there's so much to do on screen when we do get to the rise of Skywalker, but I still think we got some glimpses into her and where she is in her journey right now. So what do you guys think that you learned about Rey, if anything, and where do you think she is in her journey? 
It was really cool to to hear Rebecca Roanhorse talk about the fact that like Lucasfilm and Del Rey essentially said, "Don't touch that character," like because that's going to be the biggest stuff that um, is going to be in the Rise of Skywalker for obvious reasons. But like, I mean, she still did like kind of indirectly reveal some pretty big stuff about Rey, right? Like you were sort of <clears throat> led to believe at, at the end of the Last Jedi that Rey had figured things out that she'd moved into the sort of confident stage of being a Jedi, and this is what she is now, and like. This book opens like pretty hot right out the gate with like, no, she doesn't have anything figured out. She has even probably more doubts than she did even before. And now she doesn't have a mentor to like teach her the ways of the of the of the force and stuff. So that was very cool to me that like like she doesn't have to figure it all out because you see that with Luke in uh, Return of the Jedi. Like he comes in this cool, calm and collected sort of sort of guy like at the end of at the beginning of Return of the Jedi. So. Yeah, just, the, just I liked I liked that as well. I like that vulnerability. I liked how she isn't quite sure where she fits in with the whole resistance as well. I uh, you know the the scene with her and Leia that uh, them drinking tea, which was a preview um, before the book was released, so everyone kind of got to read that scene first. One I of my favorite scenes of the book. It, it, absolutely, I think it's one of the best scenes, and I think it's definitely her best scene. Um, you know, you get a little bit of info about her and Kylo, about how she hasn't given up on him you know how she's still kind of wondering if he can be redeemed talks to lay about that and all that jazz so while i i don't think we got any major reveals because like Corey said rebecca was kind of shooed away from that kind of stuff there's some good rate content i don't think she's really in that different of a place than she was at the end of eight except for you know maybe a little more uh i don't know a little more nervous about her own force abilities, but beyond that, it wasn't huge. You know what, you guys, you guys just changed my mind a little Ooh. bit about what was done. That one of my small gripes about this book was that I didn't feel like the depiction of Rey was really in line with what I saw at the end of the Last Jedi because we saw her be very confident and very capable in the end of the last Jedi, and then in this book in a lot of ways i felt like she seemed like she did at the beginning of the force awakens very unsure in that scene that we got with her having tea with leia i actually i got this vibe of like a scared young girl talking to her grandmother like that was the vibe i got from that scene and that struck me as i don't know incongruent with what we'd seen previously but i love the point that you brought up Corey. that you know she's probably one of those people that performs when she needs to but she's still very unsure of herself and when she's not in those moments she's very scared because there's a ton of weight on her shoulders not just this war but all the all the ramifications in the force itself yeah that's a that's a really great point to bring up too is like like she has like a skill that like she performs incredibly well when she's like in the moment and has to. And, and like that is very clear in this book too. And, and it was really pointed out in a couple of different scenes, right? Like, like when, when bad guys were coming in, she'd take out her lightsaber and all was well. Right. And yeah, yeah. like, like she clearly has like, I, I really appreciate the fact that she was depicted as being sort of afraid and having flaws and that sort of thing. But also like she wasn't, like, yes, in that scene, a scared young girl talking to her grandmother, yes, in that scene, but, like, maybe that's not, like, what she's depicted as always, yeah, right? She, like, she's so, well, yeah, she's well-rounded. Yeah. I mean, we, we yeah. had those moments she's, where 
an empire. She's not weak, right? She's strong. Like yeah. she is no. strong. Exactly. She kicked butt on Ryloth. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And that's that's what's cool and redeemable about that whole depiction is that like she does have fears, and it's fun to see that mm-hmm. that that she has fears and 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 faults, but like. Also, she is a badass and yeah. is, is still cool and was not made weak in this book at all. No, and my my only uh, critique on Ray is unfortunately from uh, from the audiobook. I thought that Mark Thompson's portrayal of her w- was really weak, as far as like the literal really? voice that he used for her was very light, and it was it, it didn't really have any of the strength behind it, and that took me out. So, I, I mm. as far as the Ray sections go, I very much enjoyed reading those physically as opposed to listening to them because i thought yeah. that there was a little commentary on the portrayal that she was a bit weaker than she was interesting and that's a very cool thing to bring up too because we talked about that a lot with uh rebecca last week of like like she really nailed the voices like yeah. of, of and the depictions and the dialogue of the characters yeah. and we, we we all felt like you know we asked her like was it difficult to like create those voices and get them right. And she said, no, it wasn't because they were already well done. But that, that is a completely different question when it comes to audiobook narration, like getting a voice right is very, very challenging. Like Mark Thompson told us a lot when we interviewed him about getting Yoda, right. That was really important, but getting a feminine major character from the new series, right. Whose voice is very like, everyone knows exactly what she sounds like. And I think that's why mm -hmm. you have a little less leeway. Imagine that's incredibly challenging. Yep. Oh, for sure. Now, from what we were just talking about, something jumped out at me that I hadn't even thought about while we were reading the book. Or, and maybe this is because you guys just entirely changed my mind about that entire point. But I think it's really interesting that when Rey got introduced to Yendor on Ryloth, she said that she was basically nobody. She repeated what she was told by Kylo Ren. Mm-hmm. And so we see that she still feels that way and maybe took what Kylo Ren said to heart. And then Leia and Yendor both are just like, well, actually, you know, you're somebody. All right. You were Luke's apprentice, uh, more or less. So that's that's a really interesting thing. So I'm wondering if maybe she took that conversation to heart. I Um, think so. I I think I think that it's a very good point to to realize that Ray is someone who was alone for so long that she? I think she does take what other people say about her to heart because it hasn't happened that much. You know, right. She hasn't had the years that you have to build up your resistance to other people's thoughts about you. So the Kylo thing, I think, hit her pretty hard. But also, in the same way, what Leia says about her in those terms, I hope, does stick the landing and, and does really, like you were saying, kind of inform how she b- believes in herself going in Episode Nine. Totally. Yeah. Now, we could talk about Finn as well, but to be entirely honest with you guys, I don't think he got very much development in this book. He kind of finned his way through it. Um, I think there's one thing we can talk about with Finn in this book. What's that? And I think... Oh, yeah. I know where this is going. So... Is is this about... Oh, yeah. Pomance? Yes, there is. So, so there's a couple of very important questions um, that weren't necessarily answered, but were hinted at near the end of this book. Um, because the last couple of movies, people have been wondering, who is Finn paired with? Is it Ray? Is it Rose? Is it Poe? What's going on? So before the big mission at the end, Finn and Poe are getting ready to go to this big party where they're going undercover. And they're getting ready. And Finn tells Poe uh, straight up that he and Ray and he and Rose are just friends. They're like, we talked about it. Those, they're not romantically right. involved. 
However, it was super interesting. Like, like it was just straight mm-hmm. up. Like, like it cut it that off. That was completely explained. Like, I'm so shocked that that was revealed in the book. Yeah, so shocked it's by like, that. We're like, just friends, and and, and Poe <clears throat> says, "I'm having trouble keeping up with all your just friends," which right. is, a, and then there there are a bunch of other little conversations that Poe has with other people about Finn where people are like, Oh, is Finn going with you? And he's like, well, yeah. And they go, Oh, of course, you know? So I think right. for the people that either ship Finn Poe or want to see a little bit of that, there's definitely some pretty strong hints in this book. Like he ties his tie for him. He does right. all these things that I, I think if that's the way it goes in episode nine, they definitely laid the groundwork in this book. So that, that, I think that's the main yeah, thing for fair. Finn. There's definitely room for headcanon is, in, yes. is a good way to put it in a lot of ways. And like you, yeah. you guys know from talk, like hearing us talk about this, I don't think any of us really ship. Like that's the word that gets thrown around a lot. We don't really ship anything super hardcore at UT. I don't think any of us do, do we? Like, no, not really. Not, not to that level because I think we're pretty neutral, honestly, about yeah. all of it. We just we choose joy and we choose to enjoy any of it, exactly. and we're just gonna like right. it how it is. Well, like it sets expectations. For right. the film, and we've talked about before why that's actually a dangerous mindset to have because totally. then you're pissed if it doesn't happen and all that kind of stuff. Yep. Right. But it was but, very interesting getting getting a hard answer like is is Rose and Finn is that a romantic thing going on? The answer is no. Like he straight up said no. We're just friends. We talked about it and we're just friends. That's what was coolest to me. Yeah. It wasn't just yeah. like a, it wasn't just an awkward like an awkward. So you and you know, he's like, oh, no, she kissed me. We never really talked about it. It wasn't that at all. It was like, let's, no, no, we talked about it and we're cool. So let's get a, a comic mini series of just Finn defining the relationship with everybody. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, and I think what, what honestly what, what that allows Finn to do uh, is escape the little box that people try to put him in of who is he dating? Who what's he doing? I think that yeah, what this does, right. it allows him to kind of accept the arc that he's really been given through these movies. He starts mm-hmm. episode seven. As a freaking stormtrooper that right. has been born and bred to kill, and by the end of episode eight, he acknowledges he's like, "I am rebel scum. This is what I have done." Um, and the reason I say that is that uh, Trevor in the chat uh, brought up the idea: Who is Finn? You know, he's, he says he's having trouble feeling emotionally connected with him, and kind of is he just a filler character? And I think that what they're doing with him by getting rid of the Ray and Rose potential romances is saying, no, he's going to be his own man. And he's, he is kind of our light in this, in this saga of being a person that has raised evil, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. but escapes it willingly and finds a new family. And he is now, because, because in episode seven and most of episode eight, he's still just fighting for Ray. He's still just helping his friend out. Whereas by the end of eight, he's fighting for the resistance. And I think that in episode nine, John Boyega has been very vocal about it. He's like, Finn gets his. He is now a resistance fighter. Yeah, which is, is great. That's awesome. I mean, he's it's leading so that charge. See. Yeah, something yeah. else I was going to briefly mention, too, is like, it's it's also, it's always very encouraging to me. Like, my, my only sort of, I hate to have anything negative to say, my only sort of complaint about the whole shipping certain relationships in Star Wars that that I'm just not super crazy about is that like it just it makes romance such an important aspect of the character's story and there's just so much there's so much really really good storytelling that that has nothing to do with romance right and and this is a trend that we've always seen in Star Wars and I just finished if you guys haven't watched the Star Wars documentary on on Disney Plus you have to watch it it's so so Empire good. of Dreams yeah Empire of Dreams yeah. is is very very good and there was this whole section when it was talking about Empire 
Like they actually went back, you know, like you don't, you didn't hear about it then, not the age of the internet, but there's a bunch of reshoots in Empire and they reshot all of the scenes involving uh, Leia and Han um, in Cloud City and specifically the little scene where Leia's in that, that white and sort of brown under undergown outfit. Yeah. And right before Lando shows up and they go to the dinner, right? Yes. Yes. So yeah. the original scene, they actually showed the entire scene in the documentary was yeah. really, really cool. It's like, it's a super romantic scene and her and Han like kiss and he says, I love you. And it's like, it's like, what the hell? Like, this is very like dirty romance. And they like made it, like they felt like it needed to be more subtle, and and th- that is Star Wars romance to me is yeah. that it's it's subtle, it's not like really in your face, and and like regardless of <laughs> any of the drama between any of the characters, it's just there are there's more things at stake, I guess, and it's right. always cool to to see that. So I, I appreciate that, like that, like we got a little bit of food for thought with with some of these relationships and stuff, and and stuff for. The, the the communities that are really into that like the stuff for them yeah. to talk about yeah. and dream about and and that's cool and I, I like that the inclu- inclusivity of that it didn't just shut it all down which yep. is you know kind of harsh but it was fun and I really appreciated yeah. that that it was handled very well in this book hundred percent yeah and and it's also just to clarify you know if you do ship one of those relationships go for it have fun with oh, it oh yeah totally just yes. don't take yeah, it absolutely. don't take it to the point where you're angry if it doesn't happen or anything like that that's all we're saying oh, but 100 yeah, um wes before we kind of move on from these major characters i want to hear from you as well what was your favorite depiction of a major character in this novel who did you think was the most well done or had the best arc or the best told story and and why do you feel that way with 80 pages left we understand yeah so in full disclosure i have not finished resistance reborn i'm 80 pages from um but uh one of the main characters i i mean obviously they say poe but i'm one of the uh characters that i've kind of latched onto is is shriv is that his name from uh yeah, yeah. Oh, we're gonna be talking about him I in a loved second. him loved his his uh his his sarcasm i loved his uh how he's kind of fatherly to uh, to Zay, and I just like the, his banter back and forth with uh, with a couple of the other crew members. So that's kind of the the character that I latched onto. Great choice. You write hard Absolutely for Shriv. great choice. <laughs> yeah, totally. Now, Trevor asked a, a really interesting question in the chat. He said, "Who who is Finn? Like like is it is he somebody that we're supposed to be incredibly emotionally connected to? Like he said, he wants a Finn novel. That's always a really yeah, fun yeah. Novel. I like the Finn novel, and, yeah. and I and I think that yeah, just what we're discussing there really kind of puts him in a good place. But hey, I'm all for that. Give us that Finn book. I want to see what yep. happens to Finn after this, and get boy, yeah. get some more money. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> like, a lot of a lot of the characters, I think you learn who they are by where their story ends up. Yeah. And so I think we're still learning who Finn is. And I think we'll get that answer on screen in episode nine. Yep. Um, but let's touch briefly on some of the main players from the first order plot uh, in, in this novel as well. Um, so let's start with, uh, with the first one I want to talk about. There's Winnie the Pooh. And then there is Winnie the shit, as I call <laughs> Winshire Brat. <laughs> 
wears the shirt. How disgusting is he? Right? Yes. Like that's really that's my only question. I mean, just like how just gross was this Absolutely. guy? So if you haven't if you haven't read the book, Winsure Bratz, you were talking about Winsure Brat. Oh my god. Like even Can his you, last name just is saying like, he's it, just a brat. Saying it in your uh, filling the, the syllables in your mouth just feels disgusting. Like it's yes. great. He's like a he's an imperial that is a very classic imperial story that he was nothing and given, you know, given power and doesn't know how to deal with power and you think he's better than everybody. Like he is scum, yeah. man. And I told you guys last last week when I was talking when we were talking to Rebecca, like like my wife who's a therapist came home and said that she had she had this long day of therapy dealing with all these folks and their trauma and things like that. She had to come home and she was listening to the audiobook. She said she had to turn it off because she said she wanted to throw up when when Winsher beat the crap out of Yama. She said it, it yeah. made her physically nauseous. Like he's such mm-hmm. a disgusting character. And yeah. like I know that like like it's it's uh it, it sucks he's a terrible character, that sort of thing. But man, what good writing to elicit yes! such a physical disdain for a character without being overly vulgar like game of thrones right (laughs) winsher did not have to shoot hookers with the crossbow (laughs) in order to make you feel like like he's disgusting it was really really well done winsher was great because i i think he's he's all the more terrifying for being a regular dude right he didn't grow up in the imperial academy and know he was gonna be evil he's not a sith he's a freaking pencil pusher from corellia that when mm-hmm. the First Order came, he's like, oh, sure, I'll be with them. And it's a bunch of little, like, concessions. that he's like, okay, I'll take this job. I'll take this promotion. And then it's little thing, little thing, little thing, little thing. And then at the end of nine million little things, he becomes this guy that will beat the life out of this young girl and yeah. kind of turn his back on everything he's been raised on. And I think that is, yeah. like, in a terrifying way the most realistic type of villain, especially yeah. in the modern day. It, it's not the person that is mustache twirly and knows they're doing all these evil things. It's not even someone like Tarkin who is looking at the Death Star being like, yep, we'll kill millions of people. It is yeah. the the guy in middle management that has been made fun <laughs> of on his local planet for a while that has been given a little yeah. bit of power. Yeah. And then he takes it all the way and goes absolutely crazy. And, and his inner monologue was great. Uh, another shout out to Rebecca's writing in the way that he always said, well, this one guy looked at me weird, but he must have been looking at the person behind me because I'm not doing anything wrong. So there's no way mm. he could have been angry at me. That's right. A lot of denial and misdirection yeah. and things like that. Great, A great yeah. villain. Not a, not the flashiest Star Wars villain by any means, but I think one of the scariest, frankly. Totally. Yeah, I, th- I think that you just summed up the answer to what my real major question, besides how big of a piece of crap is this guy. <laughs> um, my My real question was, you know, what do you think about a pivotal novel in Star Wars having a main antagonist who's actually just this low-ranking regular guy? And I, you summed it up beautifully. I mean, it the book did not suffer because we didn't have Kylo Ren or the Emperor, you know, mm-hmm. at, at the helm of of the antagon the antagonist of the story, essentially. Yeah, and and a shout out in so, our chat, uh, we got Trevor Ross and Juliana, all three of them, and a chorus being like, "Yep." Amazingly well written, hated him so much. Yeah, and travel films. Character, awesome. Yeah, that's right. A character you love to hate. Somebody said that in there. Yeah. Oh, and, and Trevor just said, I've worked with people like him. It's so relatable. And I think that that's one of the things. You know a yeah. Winsure brat at your work. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Somebody who yeah. just doesn't understand that they're the bad guy. And that is so important and realistic and is, is like everything that's wrong with the Empire and the First Order. And it's great. Yep. I loved it. 
Yeah, they were a great villain. So let's we mentioned Yama. Let's talk about her really quickly. She was basically a young, new First Order uh, member who was working for Winter Brat, and she got bullied by him verbally throughout the story, and then eventually physically as well. She got absolutely brutalized by this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, she gets rescued by the Resistance in a pretty awesome moment. But what were we supposed to take away from her storyline? What is what is the lesson? Why did we have a Yama outside of having uh, the the person that we needed for Winter Brat to fully reveal who he was? So I I think something very interesting psychologically happens like as you learn more and more about this character and and like I, I don't know what this says about myself, but but this is this is very this is what happened in my internal dialogue when learning about Yama. Like we're introduced with her. Like as her being this like sort of intern that's incompetent and like kind of like not really well kept. Like she's she's described as being sort of lazy. And I don't know about you guys, but I was sort of on on Brat's sat- side. Like as she was introduced, like like it was told in a very believable fashion that like she is a crappy intern doesn't really believe in this. She is lazy. Like she does to kind of deserve what's coming to her. That sort of thing is how she was depicted. But then as you learn more about, about Winshire, the more you realize he's evil, right? Deep yeah. down. And like, like she, he's wrong and she's innocent. And like his sort of, how you just psychologically learned about Yama and Winshire kind of as the story progressed, it just, it was a really beautiful direct flip of like one is the villain and one is not. And it was so well done. Like, I absolutely loved it. Yama made me think a lot of a student, right? Because one of my day jobs, I work in schools a lot with high schoolers. And the way she was described sounded a lot like a bitter person in, like, their 30s or so talking about a teenager. But being, oh, like, yeah. she's she's lazy and she doesn't do the work and her belt's askew and, like, kids these days kind of stuff. And yeah, Okay, boomer. <laughs> exactly. But... So so I had that moment of like, yes, th- those kids annoy me sometimes and I get frustrated about things teenagers do, sure. But there's also this protective nature that I think Rebecca does, writes in very well for the reader. By the end of it, you're like, listen, dude, she's not doing the best job in the world. She doesn't really believe in the First Order like you do, but she's just a kid. And making her, yeah. you know, specifically, what, 15 or so as opposed to, you know, 23, Oh yeah, I think it's pretty mean. huge because she is a kid and she is someone that is just like an intern at a summer job. And this guy, how it ends up is so horrific. And the idea of, you know, the resistance coming in to save her at the end is great. Cause all you want to do with Yama by the end is just wrap her up in a blanket and be like, it's okay. It's not your fault. Right. It was his bad day. Yeah. And, and I, I can't remember a time we've had someone like that in star Wars before. You know, I think yeah. it's such a specific relationship to have with the character. Really well done. Tra- tra- That's tra- Travi films in the chat said that he's a lot like Uncle Vernon in the Harry Potter series, and that's a very oh, beautiful thing. Oh, wow, thing. that's, that's perfect. A, yeah, and then Ross said it seemed like a less important version of Hux, and both of those are really, really great. Analogies. Oh my god, yeah, like, Hux without a Star Destroyer behind him, without without his daddy's influence. If mm, Hux hadn't mm, been the son yeah. of, you know? Love yeah, that. Winter, yeah, Winter Brat is the same type of person as Hux, and he would be, he would do exactly the things that Hux does yep. if he was in that position for sure. Great comparison. Um, all right. So one of the, it's, it's insane that we took this long to get to, to this point in this, in this round table, because one of the most amazing things about this book is how many characters it pulls in from other stories, be that video games, comics, other novels, 
and I want to talk through every last one of them, but we would be here until Monday, <laughs> and we don't have that much Wes time. Wes has to finish the but, book. We have to let him go. <laughs> yes. So I just want to run through a list of them right now, and you guys tell me about your favorite people that were brought into this story, why you felt that way, what they added to this story. The floor is really going to be yours, but just to name some of, of the major ones. So we did get uh, Zay, Versio, and Shriv, which Wes already mentioned from Battlefront 2. Um, we got Riken back. We got uh, Ransom Casterfo back. We got Yendor, who's been in several different things in canon. We got uh, Ora Marco. Anyone? That was a <laughs> great callback. What is that from? Um, I don't know the reference. So he's the weird looking guy, pirate looking guy with the eye patch um, that was kind of in the background of the original trilogy. Return of the wow. Jedi, um, wow, Yeah, yeah. Just Google him. You'll recognize him instantly. But I mean, it's just amazing. That's such a great callback character. It's, it's amazing. I knew him um, just by name only because of the Star Wars card trader app. Oh, yeah. So, um, <laughs> I'm so impressed that, by this random knowledge. Like, this is like such a random character. Well, that, it, that has helped. That app specifically has helped me know names of some of the most random characters. Yeah, because you get 8,000 copies anyways, of the same card. Yeah, exactly. So who was your favorite addition to this novel and, and why? Right, my- Ori Marka, this guy. <laughs> Oh my god! Sorry, Rune face. Right. Isn't he Listen, I'm nuts. gonna put. I'm putting this on the screen right now, so you can see this if you're live. Sure, like this yeah. is uh, Ori Marco. This guy. This is a. Uh, is it? Didn't he have a whole robot chicken skit? Like of being like prune, prune man or yeah. something? Like have you guys seen that? Prune face. Prune or something. face. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what a great yeah. callback, dude. He does. He looks like a. He looks like a shriveled up potato with an eye patch. One hundred percent. All right. I'm. I'm gonna jump in and. And put my favorite was one that you didn't even mention, Charles. Oh God, who? Uh, it's goddamn Wedge Antilles. Oh yeah, one hundred. Oh my God, I didn't say Wedge. <laughs> so who is actually less of a? I mean, honestly, a lot of these characters are are less than cameos and more of like major characters in this book, which is yeah. also insane. She gave yeah. so much time. Um, Wedge and, and Nora. Wedge that's and, his no- wife's and name Nora, is Nora Wexley from the yep. Aftermath trilogy, which, as we've said on this show, I ride so hard for. Um, but I think Wedge was one of the best written characters in this whole book. I mean, he might be my MVP even over Poe, uh, in the way that Rebecca wrote him. I, I loved his, his kind of attitude towards his peaceful life of farming. Um, I, I loved how he and Nora had kind of made this little section of, of, um, you know, fantasy for themselves on this planet, but then they got sucked right back into the fight. And it was never a question about whether they were going back or not, but I think, the reality of him facing his demons and being like, if I go back, we're probably going to die. And we've had a good run, but we got to help the kids, essentially, you know? Yeah, that's uh, was good. Uh, it was, and also, we should point out that it's set up in a way that he could 100% be in episode nine. Absolutely. If, if, they, if they wanted to do it. Like, the like he's... Actually, I'm not even going to spoil it for Wes, but like it, it's, set up, it's set up in a very nice way in that, like... He uh Wes is like cheering in the background. <laughs> it's it's set up in a way that like like he doesn't have to be in the film. Like But he can like, be but also yeah. he can be but if 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 yeah. they did it right. He could totally yeah. be in the film. Oh, real quick, Trevor in the chat saying, Did anyone else miss the other aftermath characters? Yeah, I did, Trevor. Man, if yeah. Sinjir or Jass showed up, I would have lost my goddamn mind. Yeah, um, for real. But yeah, those are my those are my MVP cameo characters. Wedge and Nora, 
phenomenal job in this book. I really also all of all of Black Squadron too. Yeah, was really cool from the Poe Dameron comic. Yeah, we talked a lot with Rebecca about that last week. If you missed that episode of like she like really did a research and there was honestly I think there were more shout outs to other expanded universe stuff in this book than ever before and like that that is what is that's what makes this book so good and so important is like the book matters and and touches the major characters and also shouts out all the EU it feels like heir to the empire or like like the x-wing series when it's referencing stuff like this and it was really great it's it's the first book that I feel like we've we've ever had that that gives everybody the credit that they deserve like with all the other writing in the eu so it's great yeah 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 so Corey, what about you who who's your champion addition to this novel from another story uh, hmm, that's that's a great question i really enjoyed shriv uh he was yeah. uh, fantastically yes. written um i yeah fantastically written i loved him in battlefront too he was my favorite character in that story um yeah i i really liked that they brought uh ransom Constarfo back like he's a great character it was really cool to see him brought back um that, that's when i freaked some, we, out the most that that was the most surprising yeah. we all kind of heard wedge was probably going to be in the book but when they said ransom Constarfo, i'm like what i know i know like he's not like and, and she didn't create this character. That's what's so cool about it. This is an expanded universe character that she did not write. She said she specifically got permission from Claudia Gray to put this character in there. So that's right. that's incredible. That's so cool. Yep. Yeah. And now I have not read – it's Bloodline, right? Yes. Um, yes. Bloodline. Yeah, I actually haven't read that novel, so it'll be fun for me. It didn't so, feel – there wasn't as much weight to that yeah. reveal. Did you, I knew did you the know name. who the character was? Did you know anything about I, Yeah, I was familiar with it, honestly, just from hearing people yeah. – in the Utini team talk about bloodline because um, that's a pretty highly regarded book. Yeah. I think amongst the Utini yeah, one team. Of our best. bloodline bloodline um, is one of the only other books that sort of touches on the important stuff for Canon. Cause it kind of sets things up for the first order in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. But Kisterfo in that book is like a, he's like a, He's like somebody who's like really obsessed with Nazi culture, <laughs> like, but says he's not a Nazi. Yeah. And like, I love collecting Imperial things. Not that I'm an Imperial. <laughs> Right, exactly. So, like, it's somebody that has a whole lot of Nazi propaganda at their house, and like, they go in you and they show you their like, you know, their office. And my office is Star Wars. Their office is like Nazi propaganda, and you're like, huh, this is a little uncomfortable for me right now. That's Ransom Costerfo. <laughs> slowly back out. He's a great character. He's redeemed properly in that book, and like, it's really done well in this book. So. Well, yeah, I'm excited to go back and actually read that as kind of a prequel now, and and see the background on the character, but. You know, if, if I can answer my own question, I would probably say Shriv because y'all know I have a weird obsession with Duros. Uh, so I'll I'll leave that alone. Uh, I won't I won't go back into Shriv because clearly he was very popular and we've already talked about him. But I mean, it was amazing to have Yendor back. Yendor we see it all the way back in uh, in Lost Stars, another Utini favorite. Yep. When he's just a pilot, uh, and then obviously he pops up a couple of times along the way, and now is the head of this. Uh, resistance force on Ryloth that's very reminiscent of the Cham Syndulla stuff that we've seen in the past. Did you guys think mm. we were going to see Hera? I did. I didn't. For a minute, no I way. did when it went to Ryloth. Yeah, but but, she, really but we so. got to see what she, what happens in Alphabet Squadron. That's true. Right. Right. Now, one name that we did not see that we know is going to play a factor in the Rise of Skywalker is Lando. So. 
Where do you guys think Lando is? Has he been captured? Is he in prison and we haven't found him know. yet? Or where has he been? I, I 100% thought they were going to go get Lando when they went to get Wedge, Wedge and Nora. I 100% thought that was where it was going to go. And it didn't. That's not what we got. No. So I think that's just well, a story they want to reserve for the film. Yep, 100%. I think that's, I think that's fair. But, you know, we kind of learned in this, in this novel, when, when we watched The Last Jedi, we thought people didn't respond to Leia because... They just didn't really believe in her and her cause anymore. That's what we were kind of led to believe. And then in this novel, we learned that, well, maybe they do believe in her cause and they were not able to answer her call. But we, I mean, we know Lando didn't answer. So if he's not imprisoned, then he was kind of just like, nah, I'm good. Yeah, I mean, people, like, listen, you know people, I mean? people like, like act it's like Lando, Lando. Lando's a big hero, man. But he's a lot like Han Solo in that there's a big moral gray area when it comes to Lando yeah, Calrissian. He's, he's pretty two-faced. I yeah, think there's a, there's a great chance that in episode nine, we, we get to meet him like we did in Solo, where we're going through a place and he's at a sabak table. That's yeah. what I'm thinking and, we're going to get. He gets sucked into things and he doesn't want to be, but he does anyway. Because maybe yeah. maybe Chewie tells him that Han's dead. Oh, my God. That would be, oh, my oh. God. That would be so great. Don't you do that to me. I know. All right. Well, let's round this out, guys. We're running long, but, I mean, the characters in this book were just so well done. And there were so many to talk about that I'm not at all surprised. Nope. We got to hit on the new characters that Rowan Horse brought into this book because she wrote all of these ones that were created by other people so well, but she also introduced some new ones of her own. Uh, Tiza Nas was, I think, one of the favorites that we had. Yama, like we already mentioned, Winsher Brat, I mean, Winnie the Shit. Um, <laughs> Strong Hammer, was it? Uh, that's that's right, right? Strong, Strong Hammer, Hammer. will break you. Now I'm, yeah, that guy. Yeah, if, yeah, if you didn't read his voice with like a Russian accent, you did it wrong. <laughs> Go back, try again. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. so out of all of those new characters, and there are probably more. Actually, the character from the the prologue was amazing. I don't even think we got a name for nope. her, but she was very in the same vein of uh, Paige Tico, yeah. I think. Uh, who was your favorite, and, and who do you want to see come back if they can come back? Because without spoiling it, some of them maybe cannot. So, all right, first, first thing I want to say is... Uh, because I think I saw this in the chat earlier, is is the Scrap Planet, is that the one from Fallen Order? Yeah. Straka, yeah. Man, yeah, man, I did not realize yeah, that at all. Dude, when you're running when you're running around Fallen Order in that shipyard, you can see them all, the Ibdis Maw. They talk about if you really? look over the edge. Man, I'm going to have to start a new file and play that again. Yep. That <laughs> yeah. Um, strong. The fact that you're 100% through that game, by the way, I just have to say, it blows my freaking mind because Zepho is a godforsaken labyrinth. <laughs> I know. I, I can't I did handle it. it. I did it really fast. I I played the game to 100% completion in all of like three sittings. I don't know how I did it, but I did. Also, if you never met incredible. Corey Hilton, that's the most Corey Hilton thing he's ever done. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 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 that's so true. I speed read. I can do things really fast. You built a company because you were bored during med school. <laughs> I know. You know, funny enough i'm not a genius by any means though i'm just i'm kind of good at a lot of things but not like an expert at anything so anyway, you're just manic I, that's you are just... it i probably have bipolar disorder guys, but let's, let's not get on a light that. note who's your favorite new character <laughs> yeah answer the gosh darn question <laughs> oh man let me stay up all night and for three days in a row to uh determine this answer um i absolutely love t's and nas we talked about this a lot with rebecca too yeah. Um, like if there's any character, like I want to see like an entire spinoff of like, it's, it's, it's Tiza Nas. Like I would hundred percent was like, like, I, I think it, I think I went on this like daydream when I was reading about this, about like a Thor Ragnarok 
<laughs> Star Wars story yes! about Tisa Nas would just be so freaking good. Like she's this and her like fighting arena on Rat Attack. Yes. Okay. So Tisa Nas is she's an ex Imperial who like went completely off the deep end after the Emperor was killed and is like became like an Imperial warlord, gang lord, barbarian. Like they say, she wears this like animal pelt thing on one shoulder it's armor. Like so badass. Oh god, and she is like she's like she's like the person that you want on your side, but everybody is really uncomfortable with their morality and ethics. Like Yep. Like everything about it was just like, okay, you're ex Imperial, we could really use you, but your ruthlessness, the amount of people that you've tortured and how much you know about how to break somebody is a little uncomfortable for me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. She was incredible. Uh, I mean, I think I, I got to give the belt to Winsher Brat just because, I mean, he did have, sorry, Winnie the shit. I think he did have, you know, the most <laughs> to do you. in this book, frankly. So uh, just by by the nature of necessity, he had the most character development. Uh, but I think for all the reasons we said earlier, he just, he has stuck with me since I finished this book. That's so I evil. think that's fair. That's fair. I'm just... I'm going to agree with Tisa Naz for me personally, just purely for the callbacks to to legends that she was like a warlord, essentially following the fall of the empire, which we saw a lot in legends in the X-Wing series specifically. And then also the callback to rat attack. And we know a little bit about that planet because that's where, uh, Asajj Ventress spent a lot of time yep. yeah. uh, when she was kind of really formed cool. into who she was. And so you can learn more about that in dark disciple and, um, uh, you can also learn about that in Dooku Jedi Lost. But all right, guys, we have been really talking a whole bunch. We've got to save some for next week Absolutely. when we get to our overarching questions. So that'll wrap it up for the character section of this breakdown of this roundtable. And I'm going to kick it back to Eric to take us home. All right, man. Before we get out of here, one last comment from the chat by T. Ravi Films says it all. This is the golden era of Star Wars. Oh yeah, I yep. totally. Yeah, it, is. I, it, it definitely feels like that, like leading up to the rise of Skywalker. And I hope that we're not just riding the wave of the rise of Skywalker. The EU right now is finally at a place where we can actively reference other stories, where authors yep. are actively talking to each other about the characters that they created, and like we're we're finally reaching a peak sort of Star Wars expanding universe that is very similar to like the way legends was in its prime. So like if there's ever a time to get into the books, man, like now is it. And I I can't wait to see where Star Wars goes after this film. I mean, this weekend we're playing a video game where you can go to a planet in the game that is referenced in only a novel. Your master in the game is is, has a whole comic book about her, and the lightsaber you build in the game can be the exact replica of the lightsaber you build at a theme park that is based off another (sighs) novel. Like, yes, what the hell? It's incredible. I know, amazing. But guys, thank you to everyone that has been tuning in in the chat. We freaking love you guys. To everyone that is listening, both on Patreon and on the regular podcast feed, thank you so much for listening. And on that, my friends. That'll do it for this week's episode of The Living Force, our Resistance Roundtable Part 1. If you are new to the show, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and tune in every single week to hear us at Utini talk about the Star Wars Expanded Universe. Please leave us a review on iTunes if you haven't to help people find us. And head over to utini.com for reviews, articles, and comprehensive book profiles on every single story in the Star Wars galaxy. If you're looking to buy some books or some comics and you want to help support this show, look up that book on Utini. 
click on the Amazon link on the profile. We'll get a few cents to help keep the lights on. And if you'd like to help us out more directly, you can find us on patreon.com slash utini. You get some cool extra shows over there. Or on TeePublic, where our first wave of t-shirt designs are now live. Charles is wearing his today. I'm getting mine next week. Join us on Patreon for exclusive content every month. For $2 a month, you can join our Jedi Initiate level. You get early access to these episodes on Thursday. And for 5 bucks a month, you become a Guardian of the Wills, where you'll receive extra shows every single month, including Legends Look Back and Bounty Hunt, which is coming out every single episode of The Mandalorian. If you are at the Inquisitor tier or up, head over to Patreon right now to join us for Aftermath, our exclusive after-show hangout, where this week... We'll actually be doing our first council meeting, our monthly Q&A session. So you can watch that live, and that will be in your feed later as well. If you can't make it, don't worry. On Patreon and in your podcast feed, for our Inquisitors, it'll be there. A special thank you, as always, to Adam Dyson in our Alliance High Command and to Patrick Ortiz and our Jedi High Council for their amazing support of the show. If you want your thoughts on those Q&As, email us at livingforcepod at utini.com. Tweet at us at livingforcepod or join our Utini Discord community by going to utini.com slash discord. We are on Twitter. I am at Eric Eilerson. Corey is at DocStarWarsMD. Charles is at C. Hankel. A special thank you as always to Matt Davenport, our amazing editor, Freddie, our producer, Wes, our community manager, who hang out with us all day despite his fear of spoilers. Thank you to Corey, Charles, and Wes for podcasting with me. And as always, may the Force be with you. There is no hatred. There is joy. There is no division. There is union. There is no apathy. There is passion. There is no gatekeeping. There is community. This is the Utini Star Wars fan code. Embrace it. Live by it. And above all, trust in the living force. That's all for this week. Join our community and surround yourself with like-minded fans by visiting us online at utini.com. Until next time, may the Force be with you.